This episode of IPv6 Buzz is brought to you by IT Pro TV. Start or grow your IT career with online IT training from IT Pro TV. And we have a special offer for IPv6 Buzz listeners. Sign up and save 30% off all plans. ITPro.tv slash buzz and use promo code buzz at checkout and save 30% off all plans. Welcome to the IPv6 Buzz podcast, where we dare to dive into the 128-bit address space wormhole. Quick reminder, there's sponsorship opportunities available for IPv6 Buzz and the other Packet Pusher podcast show. If you're interested, go to packetpushers.net slash sponsorship for details. And if you got something cool working with V6, hey, we want to hear from you. I'm Ed Horley with my co-host Tom Coffey and Scott Hogue. And today we're going to jump in and start dissecting in around the DHCP V6 because we've never had a show. If you can believe that, you guys, <laughs> we've never had a show about DHCP V6 specifically. So it's about time we probably had one proper, right? So <laughs> let's dive into it. How did that happen exactly? I have no idea. We've talked about it a ton in, in a bunch of different shows, like, you know, sort of ancillary to everything that's going on, but we just never had one specifically on DHCPv6. I mean, we've talked about Slack a ton. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think I think for most people, they have some sense of it, right? It's a method of assigning addresses to nodes that join a network dynamically, just like it works for IPv4. And I, I don't think you could be in IT and networking and not know how it works for, for IPv4. With DHCPv6, there's some subtleties. It works a little differently. And so it's I think it's important to recognize that it's functionally similar, but then also understand some of those subtle differences. Yeah, I mean, that's a great jumping off point because there's we've, we've mentioned multiple times in the past, there's different ways to allocate addresses in IPv6 and DHCPv6 is one of them. Mm -hmm. uh, Slack is the other and we've gone on and on and on, and on <laughs> so many times about Slack. So I, I think the, the audience is probably familiar enough with that, but this is the other method to do it. So we mm -hmm. effectively in V6 have two methods to assign addresses out. And so maybe maybe we dive in and, and talk about that. Like why are there two methods in, in, in V6 and then how is that different than V4? And mm -hmm. is is that even important? I guess I, I yeah. don't know. Is that yeah. is that even an important distinction? Or yeah, it, it is. With IPv4, there's nothing. The, the node doesn't have to go through another process. It simply just sends out an unsolicited subnet UDP broadcast saying, "Hey, I wanted to you know, with a discover message for IPv4 on the network." And the router typically acts as a DHCP relay you know, to relay that with an IP helper command. If you're familiar with the Cisco IOS syntax, you know, that's how it works. But with IPv6, you need the ICMPv6 type 134 message sent from the router, the router advertisement that goes to the IPv6 all nodes multicast group address. And that's what indicates that the host should perform DHCPv6. If the a, the auto config flag is set to zero. If the managed address config flag is set to one, that indicates to the host that then it should follow the DHCP v6 method. Then it sends its solicit message. Then the router acts as that DHCP v6 relay like it has in the past for v4, but it's really that router advertisement that initiates 
and indicates to the host the method it should use, right? And that's not particularly intuitive when you think about how enterprises are used to acting, interacting with a DHCP and V4, right? So here we're the same scenario that we have with Slack where you have to have a router configuration on the interface. Mm-hmm. And I guess you could argue, well, you know, with V4, you typically have to configure a helper address. Mm-hmm. But it, it, that's kind of substantively different than the router interacting directly with the host in the form of a router advertisement basically telling it you're going to be requesting an address through and other information through DHCPv6, like explicitly giving it that information. So again, that, that's that that same issue that we run into with Slack from an operational perspective. Like there's some silo bleed there, right? Because you might be in the, the server group or the, the folks that are trying to get nodes configured with addresses and you know, maybe maybe you have router access, maybe you don't, but you somebody has to make that configuration on the router to to get DHCPv6 working uh, in the same way that they would have to do that with Slack. And I don't know, so maybe that's not something that they're that that folks are thinking about when they're thinking, well, I want DHCP, but now I just want it for IPv6 in the same way that I have it for IPv4. Yeah, I mean, it starts with the RA. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it starts. I think that's a big fundamental change. Is that, is that that portion is is key? There's the routers providing a piece of context to the host on the network right that says how you should be auto how you should be requesting to auto provision an address right should you be using slack or dhcp or both which gets a whole different you know weirdness uh, or all <laughs> or all yeah yeah exactly like uh, do all the things uh, the christmas tree ra <laughs> i like to call it turn everything on just leave it on and don't worry about it um you know and um and and there are, there might be reasons to do that. Um, you know, there, I, I wouldn't say they're sane reasons, but there could be reasons to do that uh, within your environment. And maybe we pivot a little bit and talk about maybe some of the operational differences between how you would deal with um, DHCP versus DHCP v6, because there are a few operational sort of nuanced differences around how you set up DHCP v6 versus, and like some of the attributes that are in mm-hmm. DHCP v6 that are different than DHCP, because mm-hmm. should we run down a few of those? Because they're, they're, I don't think they're huge, but they are different, right? Of course, we had to give like different, you know, option ID numbers and everything else to all the different scoping stuff, because, you know, we just want to make life hard for everyone. <laughs> but, well, the, the default gateway, right? That's like, yeah, yeah, yeah that's, a, right that's, a key, that's a key one, right? Yeah. So you're used to having the DHCP server tell you all about the default gateway in IPv4, and uh, that goes away in in DHCPv6. The server is not giving you that information. You're actually getting it from the router advertisement. Yeah, Yeah, because it's a chicken and the egg problem. You need the RA to tell you to do DHCPv6. So then in the DHCPv6 scope on the DHCPv6 server, it doesn't need to communicate to you your default gateway because you would have already learned that from the RA that right. went, to the, went out to the all-nodes multicast group address on the LAN. Yeah, regardless so of whether you're running DHCPv6 or not. I thought there was an RFC or at least a draft for changing that behavior where you could optionally include the default gateway as an attribute, but I don't think that's an RFC yet. I could be wrong. Listeners, keep us on us there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Totally. I, and 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 it would be useful just from a consistency standpoint because I could see how it's so mm-hmm. confusing for people. Here you are for years and years and years. You're building DHCP scopes and for IPv4, you're used to putting in a given set of parameters, right? Within that mm-hmm. scope that you're building within mm-hmm. DHCP, and you're like, oh yeah, well here's the default gateway, and mm-hmm. and then like suddenly you're like, well I don't get it. None of this stuff 
matches up in the same way. Or even things like, you know, which addresses am I supposed to leave out or, or, you know, make reservations for or exclude or et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. As long as it's not a vain attempt to avoid dealing with neighbor discovery, it's like, <laughs> I don't want to have to like deal with router advertisements and router solicitations and all this stuff that's going on under the hood with IPv6. I just want DHCP v6 to give me a default gateway. It's like, well, okay, fine. The D- maybe we can, we can have, uh, you know, if Scott's right and there's a draft or an RFC that's like trying to get us there where you can get your default gateway from the DHCP v6 server. That's all fine and good, but it's not like you're, you know, you're, you're getting rid of the, the relative complexity of neighbor discovery and router solicitation and advertisement and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and what's funny about it is that depending on how that's interpreted, I guess as an RFC, maybe that determines about what gets entered into the local host OS for our, from our route, next hop route standpoint, because today by default, right, everything goes link local instead of to a global unicast address, right? And that's a, that's a really critical point, right? So, and, th- and this is exactly what Scott mentioned a moment ago, where this is all happening before the DHCP v6 transaction takes place. So you, you've got a default gateway that you're using based on that link local address. And that's, that's really the, the magic of IPv6 among the other magical things that it does. The unicorn, magical <laughs> unicorn things. <laughs> yeah. That you, that you might like or not, depending on what you like, what you said. Like how, why do I have eight addresses on one interface? Like what, what did I do to deserve this? Yes, totally. Yeah. I, I, so DHCP, it's, it's, as far as I think people need to think about it is that DHCP v6 is a hundred percent analogous to DHCP in terms of what you're running in v4, but there's operational differences in terms of maybe some of the information that you're going to provide in the scope or the build out of the actual scope within the DHCP server itself, which by the way, it can be the exact same box that you're already hosting DHCP on. You can mm-hmm. just turn up and enable DHCP v6. There's no reason to think that you have to do anything differently there. Um, and you're just going to be building a new type of scope, and that scope specifically is going to be v6 in nature, as opposed to v4, obviously, because mm-hmm. you're going to be providing um, uh, addresses from that particular scope. So maybe maybe one of the nuances that we should get into is we have router advertisements that talk about what the host should be doing in terms of how it should be provisioning. If it's if it's an M bit uh, that's set or an M flag that's set, needs to go talk to DHCP v6. How does it know what scope to use so goes to the dhcp v6 server and says like please hand me an address how does it know what scope range to ask for right in terms of an an address space to walk through so i don't know if we want to tackle that as a as a subject but it seems like an interesting space in terms of like understanding like hey this device came up came up on a network how do i know which address i'm supposed to hand to it just like in the helper on the V4 side, right, we actually pass that parsing piece of information. This is like, hey, it came from this network segment, assign it out of the scope as opposed to another one. Do we do something similar in V6 or is that a totally different process that we go through? Just the relay would communicate that information and that's that's right. your router. And because with, with IPv6, when the host you know, sends its router solicitation and here's that routing advertisement, the node on the network only has a link local address at that point. And it's communicating with link local multicast. The solicit message goes out using multicast on a LAN from the link local address of the, of the client sends that solicit, which is like the discover message. The router acts as a relay, communicates that, oh, I heard a solicit come in on this interface with this prefix 
I can share the information from the client. I can share the DHCPV6 unique identifier, the DUID from the client. I can relay right. that and the subnet and the prefix or the prefix on that interface, send that over to the server. The server gets that solicit message and responds with an advertise message that goes back, goes back through the router acting as a relay. And that and the advertise gets sent out on the network. And it's sent to the link local address of the client who sent the original solicit. And so the client and the router are still just communicating between link local and multicast messages there up until the point that the client gets a full global address from that scope. So then the next step is the client sends a request and then the server sends back a reply. So a solicit, advertise, request, reply is what you're used to as being the discover, offer, request, acknowledgement, right? Dora, D-O-R-A? Dora, yeah. Did I get that right? Yep. And so that's that process. So the relay, I guess, would perform that function, right, Ed? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly correct. And and, and I think I think the important thing for people to realize is that, you know, because it, it seems a little strange, right, that we see all these, it's effectively what the router is doing is proxying link local connections on the other side, right, to make that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you brought up the DOID side. Do we want to talk about that really quickly? As a, We're used to dealing with MAC addresses, right, in V4, slightly different piece of sort of sourcing material, I guess, that we would use for DTP V6 versus what we're used to in V4, at least architecturally, in terms of uh, building reservations and how that information gets sort of built out there for scopes for assigning addresses, right? I interrupt the podcast today for a quick word from our sponsor, IT Pro TV. Do you remember the ransomware attack on the gas pipeline from last year? That is an example of how cybersecurity professionals are in demand. There are more than 500,000 open cybersecurity roles, and you can become a cybersecurity professional with some online training. It's never too late to start a new career in IT or move up the ladder, and IT Pro TV, today's sponsor, has you covered. From CompTIA and Cisco to EC Council and Microsoft. IT Pro TV is offering more than 5,800 hours of on-demand training, and they, they teach it with engaging hosts. They present information in a talk show format, so it's not boring. They're live every day if you like live content, and the shows that they record each day, those go studio to web in 24 hours. The courses are conveniently listed by category, certification, and job role. And you can stream IT Pro TV's courses live or on demand worldwide via really any platform you want Roku, Apple TV, PC, or their iOS or Android apps. Learn IT, pass your certs, and get a great job with IT Pro TV. Visit itpro.tv slash buzz for 30% off all plans and use promo code buzz at checkout. That's itpro.tv slash buzz and use promo code buzz at checkout. One more time, itpro.tv slash buzz and use promo code buzz at checkout to save 30% off all plans. And now back to the podcast. Tom, you want to talk about Duids? You've written an article on Duids that I really enjoy. And so you've covered, <laughs> you've covered this before. Yeah, this can be really sort of frustrating and confusing when you first start configuring IPv6 and dealing with DHCPv6 and the the 
DHCP unique identifier, you know, sort of steps in where uh, we left off with the hardware address in, uh, in IPv4. And, and there are different ways, different formulas for, for formulating the DUID depending on the host. And this can cause some frustration and some headaches if, uh, if you don't have a good way of managing um, the DUIDs that are being generated on hosts and how those are being presented to the, to the DHCPv6 server. But the identifying, that's like essentially the identifying characteristic from the host that, and, you know, as Ed was asking about where this, how you identify a particular scope and where the address comes from. So there is a way, and this, this, I think, you know, back in the day, quote unquote, like if you were trying to stand up DHCPv6 operationally in, in an enterprise environment and you're sort of used to dealing with MAC address, you know, you're sort of looking for a shortcut to be able to do that with, uh, with IPv6 and it, it didn't really exist. And so from a management perspective, it was really kind of frustrating and challenging to try to manage them the same way. And of course, now all these years later, we still have, we have similar problems in terms of trying to manage DHCPv4 and DHCPv6. Yeah. I, I think the key um, sort of key takeaway, or maybe a, key, a couple key items to take away is, is the, the whole concept of a Mac address for a reservation, right? We had to have some, some, some other key set of material available because of the interface identifier and the, and the fact that we could have multiple addresses per interface, right? So we needed a, something slightly more complex and more nuanced in terms of making that thing unique. And so we we came up with this whole concept of of building something sort of on the fly. And the biggest challenge I saw, at least operationally, was the fact that this unique DUID was built at runtime for many operating systems. Um, so Windows is a good example. And so you actually have to sysprep in order to keep from duplicating your DUID <laughs> across That's, an image, like a golden image. It's right there in the acronym, unique, unique. Yeah, unique. <laughs> and so and so you literally have to sysprep a system in order to keep it from which we you know. Okay. You have to do it anyway for any number of other reasons, right? But Right, for any other exactly. But but the reality is, is that the MAC address changed automatically because the virtualized hypervisor or the physical hardware changed, right? So the MAC address became unique every single time you move through. That's not necessarily the case with something that was built at runtime versus something that's built out of the box. So right, different challenges. Is it even worth making the distinction now between stateful and stateless? DHCPv6. I, I mean, now that we have our DNSS for Slack, even know if it's worth having the conversation around it. I mean, it's, I mean we probably should at least highlight what the heck that what the heck it is. Yeah, yeah that listeners may run into this, right? It's like the difference between stateful and stateless. The uh, the classic M and O bit, right? The M and O flag, um, and where and where that fits in. We used to have this whole concept of of saying like, hey, we're going to do, we're going to provide you information from DHCP. DCPv6 because we don't have any other way to provide it on the wire, right? And that's really what RDNSS fixed for 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 operationally for for everything. So we don't necessarily have to go to the DHCPv6 server anymore to get that information. But the way that we informed everyone that that's where you had to go was we set this O flag, right? So we did an M and O flag, and we basically, or we just did an A and an O flag, right? Right. And, so we said, like, go ahead and provision the address yeah. from Slack, right? In that case. Yeah, so go get your address from Slack. We don't care how you set that up. We're not going to bother with that portion of it. But we want to give you all the other information, quote, unquote, the other information, the O information, right? Uh, so you could get your NTP server, or you could get your DNS server, or you could get your, you know, whatever it is, right? You could go get it there. Yeah. So it's kind of a legacy technique 
because back from the day, back in the good old days, back yeah. in the good old days when we when we had operating systems that didn't have DHCP v6 clients built in, right. we exactly. still needed to make them, you know, first class citizens on the network and have them be, you know, productive members of society and be able to do DNS lookups. Just giving them an address didn't really help. We needed them to be able to do DNS lookups. So you needed to communicate that other config flag type information to them the DNS server and their domain suffix search order list exactly to them yeah. so they could get going. At least they had an address that have default gateway. They got the DNS information. Now they're ready to go conquer the world. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And and that that's really it. But we, we've, we progressed past that. So with our DNSS mm -hmm. capabilities and all the operating systems pretty much being upgraded to support that now. Um, so what, what RFC was that? 6104 or 6106, 8106. Yeah. Anyway, that's the, the, the reality is, is that the R8 now just includes the DNS server information and the suffix, you know, the, the right suffix and search order and everything else that you needed to have in it. So it really reduces the need for the O portion, unless you're doing something like NTP or you're doing something like, you know, a TFTP boot or something else of that nature that you're really going to need to supply that information, in which case you will still run the O the old flag and, and and the host can go get the additional information they need from there. Or you can just run DHCP v6 and don't bother with Slack and just have it go get all the information there too. That's the other way to do it, right? Yeah, I don't know. Is, is that about as exciting as DHCP v6 gets? I mean, there's a whole aspect that we left out here, which I think we'll probably park for another show, which is DHCP v6 PD. And, and that's a whole, I, I consider that a wholly separate discussion around prefix delegation and what the heck that does and why it's important and, and and where that fits in the ecosystem. But I think it's very different than anything that's going on with DHCP from an IPv4 standpoint for where folks are at today. I don't know if you guys agree with that or not, but. Yeah, because there's really, I mean, what what is the use case in, in an enterprise environment for DHCP v6 PD? I don't know that there really is one. I mean, if you're a service provider, you, you're taking advantage of it and you already know what it is and you're you're using it heavily, but. It's not, I don't know, like I just from a use use case scenario. It, Is there any analogy really with D, mm -hmm. with existing DHCP and IPv4? I don't think there's anything really quite. Yeah, maybe, maybe I guess your uh, enterprise use case might be you have some type of a teller, a person that has a mobile device and then they have a printer on their hip and they're tethering the printer to the the tablet and they're helping you and then they need to print you a receipt or a claim check or something as they're serving a customer. So they need to give that device uh, a slash 64, uh, a prefix, so that then it can it can tether that printer off of it. I guess I'm just thinking. Yeah, yeah, 64. Maybe yeah, that would be a 64 as the prefix. Maybe the prefix is a slash 64 or something as simple as that to facilitate tethering. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, internet connection sharing, the old school internet connection sharing or something like that um, is possibility maybe it's a bus maybe it's a emergency vehicle and it is doing mobility and it gets as it moves around and roams different radio bands in that municipality it gets different addresses and then it configures devices inside of that car there's other computers medical equipment maybe it's a it's a military vehicle maybe there's other you know devices in there who knows and then they all are talking to each other but they need a network 
Well, I think I think we'll park DHCPv6 PD to, to maybe yeah. have a different show because I really think the use cases are so different versus what yeah. traditional DHCP is, yeah. and it, and it really falls in a different space. I don't know. I mean, it's that, that's it. I think the only other interesting thing is is you know like hey, you build scopes like you build scopes in DHCP, you build reservations like you build reservations in DHCP, I and mean, like. I don't know. I would that mention uh, first hop security as well. It's available in V6 in the same way it's available in V4. You don't want rogue DHCP V6 servers on your segment. Yeah, that's fair. So, yeah, you can build static reservations in DHCP V6, but the identifier that you put into the reservation is the do it. So you yeah. need to get that big long string of big long <laughs> X yeah, characters. Do it, put do it, it the way that we do it, you guys. Which is yeah. which is just go have the thing make a reservation and then turn it into a turn it into a, an explicit one, so you don't have to go through that entire process. Yes, far far yeah. far easier uh, as a general rule of thumb. So it was easier with DHCP for V4 because you just copy the MAC and, exactly. and do it based on the MAC address. But yeah, you got to get that do it. No, yeah, I, I guess the I other think, oh, the think, other thing you touched on is you define the scope. So if we're used to defining a scope in DHCP where we exclude certain addresses or we define the zone the scope to be you know dot ten through dot two fifty four and we right. keep a few addresses at the beginning for routers and HSRP or what have you, you know right. but Does or that the even RRP. yeah, do you need to exclude colon colon one? No, I don't it know. Depends. Do now, we? most DHCPv6 servers hand out randomized interface identifiers within the scope range. Right. Some DHCPv6 some... servers may be sequential. And what would be the first address that it hands out? Colon Zero. colon. <laughs> yes, all zeros. <laughs> then the second one would be colon colon one. And then you have a conflict. Hopefully, you're using duplicate address detection to prevent a collision. Right. But if not, oops, now you got a problem. Two devices on the network acting as colon, colon, one, one being your legitimate router and the other being the second DHCPv6 client on the network. So you right. could set your scope. But you're right. If it was random, if the DHCPv6 server was doing random, randomized interface identifiers within the scope range, make it colon, colon through all Fs, and play the lottery and you'll win. <laughs> right. You'll win. Or well, that's you'll win and not there be there not being a collision, you'll lose because the odds of winning are so incredibly low. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it's the likelihood that you're gonna you're gonna run into that problem is very is incredibly small. But the reality is is that operationally you don't know if that code is gonna change for how that DHCP v6 server is gonna operate. Yeah. So you're probably better off at least reserving the well-known addresses that you know you would mm -hmm. you know never want to get handed out which is your router addresses let's face it it's a, it's the default gateway router addresses that are going to be assigned or if you're running you know vrp or hsrp or anything else it may be three addresses that you might be using on a local network segment right so that you want to set aside mm -hmm. all right that's it that's as, as exciting as dhcpv6 kits and it's pretty exciting <laughs> <laughs> but of course we're going to say that it gets more exciting. I mean, there's things that can go wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. That's true. That's true. in DHCP <laughs> too, right? Like that's the exact yeah. same issues that you run into of like scope, weird scope uh, option configurations where it's like, is that scoped globally or is that scoped only for this scope? Or is that 
like which one is going in what order for dependency, like you still have all those same problems. Those mm-hmm. don't go away. Yeah. So enjoy. Yeah. There's a new RFC 8947 where you can assign link layer addresses out of DHCP. What? Yeah. You have a different identity association. Normally you have IANA, you know, as we've talked about, identity association for, you know, a non-temporary address, NA, but you can have an IALL. <laughs> oh no. Yeah, it gets great. Yeah. I mean, there's more, there's some cool stuff you can do with DHCB V6. But the, yeah, let's let's just leave that there as a teaser. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 8947. All right. We got reading for everyone now. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, unlike V6, we've run out of space for the podcast. You can reach the IPv6 Buzz podcast on Twitter. We're at IPv6 Buzz. And you can also hit up each one of us on Twitter too. Uh, Tom is at IPv6 Tom. Scott is at Scott Hogan. I'm at E. Horley. Thanks for listening to the IPv6 Buzz. You can find us in the Packet Pushers or any of your favorite podcast apps. Just search for IPv6 Buzz. And if you like the show, hey, please give us a rating on iTunes. We really appreciate that. And if you like this podcast, we really recommend you check out Heavy Networking, Day 2 Cloud, Network Break, and all the other great you know, technical content over at PacketPushers.net. Well, so long. And until next time, we'll see you on the internet. The IPv6 internet, that is. Thanks for listening to IPv6 Buzz, a podcast devoted to truth, justice, and 128 bits of address space. IPv6.